Hi there, folks, and welcome. Welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again. And this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. So you just show up, click a button that says Study Now, and the platform will then show you exactly what you need to learn next based on your progression. Now, this may sound simple, and in practice it is, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And what they're also unique in is that they teach all of the types of Japanese that you wouldn't normally get in traditional schools or textbooks. And if you've ever studied with one of the more common textbooks that foreigners usually pick up, you've probably noticed that there are a lot of sentences or conversations in there that you'd never really hear in real life, and vice versa. Some of the stuff you actually hear when you're out and about in Japan is never really covered in these traditional textbooks. So this isn't the case with Native Shark. It's very well grounded in everyday spoken Japanese, whether it's casual or formal language. And you can really expect, like one of the students writes in their reviews, you can really expect to be picking up the sort of little nuances that no one would expect a non-native speaker to use. And that's pretty rare for most Japanese courses. So yeah, really, really useful platform. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, we'll link to it in this episode show notes. That's native without an E, so N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. Use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of the one. And you can sign up for that free trial without having to put any uh, credit card or anything of the sort in there. So give it a go. You won't regret it. So for today's episode, I know that you love the uh, business calls and the interviews and Q&A sessions. The download numbers definitely speak for themselves. But we've recently had a few requests come in from both readers and listeners of the podcast who've asked for a breakdown of the financial side of the property settlement process as it relates to buyers who are residing both in Japan and overseas. Now, this is a topic that we've covered in various segments in the past, but never all in one place or in a single episode. So I thought it would be a good idea to um, go back to the old format for a bit and just break down this settlement process as it relates to purchase funds and various costs all in one place with an emphasis on where these funds go to at every stage of the process for both, again, resident and non-resident buyers. So first, the general process, and this is how it's also going to work for anyone resident in Japan and operating through a local bank account. So first step, making an offer or applying to purchase a property. This isn't an officially financially or legally binding matter in Japan. You don't need to put any money down and you can back out at any point before signing the purchase contract, which is when you'd normally be paying your deposit. However, Japan being Japan, there's a huge emphasis on the uh, quote-unquote proper way of doing things here. And as we've mentioned here in the past many, many times, foreigners already suffer from a sort of a tire-kicker reputation in professional circles here, which is one of the reasons that realtors and sellers are often wary of working with foreigners. And if you pull out after your offer was accepted and without any reason that's anchored in the due diligence info that's received after the offer has been submitted, uh, the seller wouldn't accept any other offers from you down the track. And much worse, that particular realtor will not work with you again. 
and most likely they'll stop responding to your emails and calls and such because it's simply not done here. You don't just pull offers back without any reason. So if in other countries it is common practice to send out a dozen or so non-biting offers on a bunch of properties that you're potentially interested in and then just moving forward with the one that you like best, that's simply not done here. And if you do that, you'd eventually be blacklisted by realtors in the particular city. And the smaller the town is, the quicker word gets around and the less realtors you have to work with in the first place. So you definitely want to avoid that here. An offer is uh, of, not officially, but um, practice-wise, an offer is binding. Now, as for due diligence info, so information related to the property itself, its condition, the renovation history, um, the total reserve funds in the case of a strata or co-owned building, and the tenant info in case of a tenanted property, in many cases, and particularly in more popular areas where listings tend to move very quickly, most of this information wouldn't be available pre-offer. So you'd note on your application form that the offer is pending due diligence info for all of the items that you're interested in knowing about. And then if any of that info is less than satisfactory, it is perfectly acceptable and uh, proper, again, to then reduce the offered price or to pull back altogether. But again, funds-wise, no funds required at the offer stage. So once your offer has been accepted or renegotiated and then accepted, etc., you'd get all of your due diligence info. You would check it, confirm it, uh, and maybe again resubmit the offer at a lower price if there's some risk factor in there that you'd want to mitigate. And then you'd go on to the purchase contract signing meeting. So at this stage, this is when you would be paying the seller their 10% deposit, which is the norm. And here it's important to note that there isn't really an escrow service as such in Japan, not officially. So funds would go directly from buyer to seller for both the deposit and then also for the remaining settlement amount. The realtors can and sometimes do act as go-betweens. So they're registered businesses and licensed companies, which does offer a certain level of protection. And they need to renew their license every two years, which is not going to be possible for them if there are any registered complaints against them, not to mention criminal proceedings if they do end up being involved in any kind of fraud on either end of the transaction. But even if a particular agency doesn't act as a go-between or escrow and funds are provided directly to the seller, there's always going to be a record, either via printed or handwritten receipt issued by the realtor uh, as present on the day if cash was paid, or via bank-remitted receipt if the uh, transfer was done via bank transfer. And coupled with the purchase contract, that's really all the legal recourse that anyone would need. So Japan, again, is a highly transparent country. There's a paper trail a mile long for any financial transaction, full legal recourse available to anyone who believes that they were duped or fleeced or that any crime was committed against them. And to be frank, it's very, very rare here in the first place. Just due to the nature of the Japanese themselves, they're extremely law-abiding and they despise any kind of conflict or confrontation. So the chances of anything like that happening here are really very close to zero. Um, as an example, we've once uh, concluded the settlement. So all settlement funds were paid. Everybody got paid for their fees and the legal and registration and everything. And then we found out post-settlement, we found out the uh, some of the tenant information that was relayed in the official documentation was actually not correct. The tenant in residence was not the original tenant um, as evident in the documents. 
we've floated this information to the Realtor and not only have they reversed the transaction at their expense, they've also immediately paid compensation to the buyer um, for the uh, time and effort and expenses that uh, were undertaken by the buyer during this whole process. So the Realtors here are extremely by the book. There's a very, very, very tiny chance of anything untowards happening with licensed companies involved. Then following the contract signing, and the contract signing will also include a schedule for settlement, then the uh, Realtor Agency will put together a settlement statement, which will include a breakdown of all the fees and payments that needs to be charged and debited and credited on settlement. Uh, so these sort of payments will include the agency's fee, the total settlement amount remaining minus the deposit paid, the property tax adjustment, which normally would have been paid in advance uh, for the whole year by the seller, so they need to be refunded by the buyer uh, for the period of the year remaining from settlement and onwards. The rental income, which would have been paid to the seller by the tenant in advance for a month or two, so that needs to then be credited to the buyer uh, for the period of time uh, from settlement and onwards. Another credit to the buyer for any security deposit that was paid to the seller by the tenant when they moved in. So this security deposit then needs to be credited or transferred to the buyer as well, since they'll be the ones who will need to pay it back to the tenant if and when the tenant leaves, assuming the property is in good shape. In cases of condo units in co-owned blocks, Strata again, the seller would also have paid building fees in advance for a month or two at a time. So that needs to be debited to the buyer as well from the day of settlement and onwards. And at the same time, uh, while the agency is preparing the settlement statement, the judicial scrivener, which is the Japanese equivalent of a property lawyer, will also invoice the buyer for the legal and registration fees involved in the ownership transfer. Now, this amount varies depending on the official valuation of the property, uh, but it's normally, uh, the official valuation would be at least a little bit different to the sale price and sometimes can be very different. So legal and registration fees can be anywhere from one or one and a half percent and all the way up to six, maybe seven, seven and a half percent of the purchase price. So depending on how expensive the property is, pricier properties will carry a lower percentage in legal and registration fees and vice versa. Um, properties, uh, areas that have experienced growth in recent years will carry lower official valuations and as a result um, legal and registration costs would also be lower percentage-wise. So really anywhere from about 1 to 7%. And then the Scrivener will also provide both parties with legal documents to have signed and witnessed for the transfer to take place on the day of settlement. Now, if both parties are residing in Japan, it's not actual witnessing uh, by any notary public or such that needs to take place. Instead of that, they simply use their official seal or stamp, which is known in Japan as the hanko or inkan, and they attach a seal certificate or inkan shome, which they can easily get at their local ward office, uh, city hall, for about 300 yen or approximately three bucks. So then on the day of settlement, the buyer will remit all of these funds to the seller, the realtor, the judicial scrivener accordingly. The seller will provide the property's title deed to the judicial scrivener a few days prior to settlement. So the judicial scrivener, the property lawyer, will be holding on to the title deed. And once the funds have been remitted, either individually or to all three parties, or again, in some cases, they might be remitted in bulk to the realtor, and the realtor will then distribute them to where they need to go. The scrivener will then confirm that all funds have been remitted and received as per the statement. 
and as per the legal and registration fees invoice. And once that's all been confirmed, the Scrivener will then liaise with the Legal Affairs Bureau, which is the government agency in charge of property ownerships and transfers, and they will then conduct the ownership transfer from seller to buyer. Now, once that's been done, it'll take a few weeks for the Scrivener to receive the new title deed and registration documents from the Legal Affairs Bureau, as well as the certificate of ownership transfer, and then they'll ship all of that directly to the buyer or via the buyer's representative if they're not residing in Japan. Now, judicial scriveners, again, are registered and licensed government-appointed operators, so they're monitored, they're regulated even more strictly than realtors, and there's, again, zero chance of them being involved in any monkey business in Japan. Now, it's also important to note that in Japan, realtors normally charge both buyer and seller, and their fee works out to be, uh, that's a legally mandated fee, works out to be 3% of the property price plus 60,000 yen, so about $600 extra, plus tax. And they charge this fee to both sides if they're the only realtor involved in the sale or in cases where there's a seller side agent and a buyer side agent, which is often the case, then the seller side agent charges the seller, the buyer side agent charges the buyer. Legal and registration fees, or the judicial scrivener's invoice, uh, those are charged only to the buyer, so there's no legal and registration costs to the seller. The only exception is cases where some change needs to be made to the title deeds before the ownership transfer can take place. So, for example, if the seller had a change of name or address since they've purchased the property, in that case, there'll also be a small fee, usually about 15 or 20,000 yen, so maximum $200 to the seller as well to make these adjustments to the title deed before the transaction takes place. And then anywhere from six to 24 months after settlement, the buyer is also going to receive a purchase tax bill uh, from the uh, taxation department, which again varies depending on the official evaluation, but it usually amounts to anywhere from two to maybe two and a half, 2.6% of the purchase price, and that then, then needs to be paid to the tax department. So now, that's all well and good if everyone's residing in Japan. What happens if the buyer or seller is not a Japanese resident, they don't have a Japanese official stamp or seal, they don't have a Japanese bank account, and they can't be present in person to provide any cash payment, they can't sign documents, and so forth. Well, in these cases, they'll most likely be using a buyer's agency or buyer's advocacy uh, company, such as ourselves here at NTI, Nippon Tradings International. And that's because Japanese companies and individuals, whether it's the realtors, the judicial scriveners, and definitely the sellers, will simply not be able to receive or remit funds uh, from or to other countries. Uh, they usually would not even know how to approach such a task, and in most cases, they'd refuse to even entertain the notion. Similarly, Japanese banks will not allow non-residents to open bank accounts in Japan. So what companies like ours do for clients who are out of Japan is we act as their bank account or escrow and we provide local representation for all practical purposes. So we would receive their fund remittances, we would pay all of these parties involved, uh, pay them off as required. And because international remittances into Japan cost at least 40 or $50, per transfers coming in and at least 90 or $100 for remittances out. Um, it's usually a better idea not to remit each and every one of these um, uh, amounts individually, but rather to um, transfer them uh, to us in bulk and then have us allocate them to the various parties involved. So the realtor, the seller, uh, the judicial scrivener and the tax department. 
And similarly, we will also be collecting the rental income from the property managers every month. We'll be paying the building fees, the property tax when these are due, renovation, repair expenses, as well as any other kind of income or expense required. And we then provide clients with an annual account a couple of months after the end of every year. At least this is what we normally do. We've been delayed this year uh, due to some COVID-related admin stuff issues, but we still provide approximations at least so the clients can instruct us to remit funds back to them at any time if they wish to do so. And we also officially act as clients' escrow for all practical purposes. And now because you don't have, as a non-resident, you wouldn't have a income, a hanko or an official stamp or seal, in that case, you will be visiting a notary public in your country of residence and have your signature on all of the documents required, uh, done and witnessed in English. And we would be then providing ad hoc translations to all parties involved so that they know what documents have been filled in. Now, we're also a licensed and registered Japanese company, so we have to comply with very similar monitoring and regulation to what the realtors do. And of course, all purchase contracts, title deeds, etc., are all in the buyer's name. So they're still confirmed by the judicial scrivener before and after settlement, regardless of where the buyer is residing. So there's absolutely no chance of any swindling or fraud taking place. And we're, of course, always happy to let new and potential clients uh, speak to any of our existing clients ahead of engaging our services as well, just to set their mind at ease and let them know that they're in good and safe hands. And that, in summary, is the purchase process. So this is where and how funds are being allocated for each and every property transaction that takes place in Japan. Now, there are not too many financing options for non-residents. We've discussed this uh, here on the podcast many times. So everything I've just laid down here relates to a cash purchase, which is what we normally handle. In cases where the seller has a mortgage, uh, the seller is usually a, a local Japanese resident, so they might have a mortgage on the property. In that case, the judicial scrivener will also need to visit the lending uh, bank or institution on the day of settlement and use the settlement funds to pay off the loan before ownership transfer can take place. But otherwise, that's it. So pretty much the same as any other country, except there's no official escrow arrangement in Japan. So funds either go directly from the buyer to the various entities involved in the sale that need to get paid or through the realtor or through the buyer's agent representing the buyer like ourselves. Pretty simple, really. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you are already in Japan on some sort of a more temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, and also if you're considering setting up a local company or branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiry, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com, and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners and our clients. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com, or one word, and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, wherever you're tuning in from. Or just drop us a line in the comments section or wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku. Yoshiku.